sweet friend. This is Deeper Life, and I'm your host, Alexis Teichmiller. I'm a writer, content creator, and a woman on a journey to finding more depth in life. If you crave soul-filling conversations and long for a stronger connection to yourself and others, consider this your safe haven. It can be hard to embrace who we are, let alone share that with the rest of the world. The Deeper Life Podcast is a safe place to show up and hear conversations about relationships, emotional growth, and explore what it means to be vulnerable. If you're ready to dig deeper, I'm here to help you embrace who you are, reflect on your past, and connect with yourself. Welcome to A Deeper Life. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of The Deeper Life. It's me, Alexis, your host, and today on the podcast, we have one of my dear friends. Her name is Tia Curran. We have been acquaintances since a very young age and have blossomed into a really lovely friendship. She is so creative, and I just love her outlook on life. Tia is a photographer, a storyteller, as well as an incredible videographer. She has a way of capturing moments that really take your breath away. And uh, the way that she captures memories and emotions through her film and through her photography is truly inspiring. And today on the episode, I had the honor of talking through our journeys together of growing up in small towns and how that shifted and changed our mindset as we grew into our adulthood, moved off into bigger cities, and and really how growing up in a small town culture um, can can be incredible and and can teach you so much, as well as the sides of that that uh, we had to overcome in a way. We also talked through meditation and her journey through mindfulness and meditation and really knowing who you are and taking that time to really process and be with your thoughts through meditation. And we also dig into her story of um, she actually had a huge start in journalism, and we talked through her journey through leaving kind of corporate America and following her own path and being her own storyteller as a videographer and photographer. It's a really inspiring story, and because we have been friends for almost a decade, uh, you really get to hear this very honest conversation of Tia and I just digging in on all things life and and the different parts of the way that we grew up and, and who we are now as women. And if this episode resonates with you, I would love for you to jump over, um, screenshot your podcast player, jump over to Instagram and tag me at Alexis Tykemiller. I always love connecting with you on Instagram. And if this episode really resonates with you and you're just loving the Deeper Life podcast, it would really mean a lot to me if you could leave me a review um, and share what you're learning and share you know, what's what the podcast is unlocking for you. I really love seeing Um, the community that we've built around the Deeper Life podcast. And one of the ways that we've been able to do that is staying connected through Instagram and seeing your reviews. So it really means a lot to me, especially since the podcast is only a couple months old. And that also helps with the searchability of the show. All right, let's dive into my dear friend Tia and I's conversation. I hope this is a good one for y'all. There's so much value here, so much honesty and vulnerability. And uh, it was just truly a gift to dig in with Tia. All right, let's jump in. Hello. (laughs) Hi. Oh, gosh. The second you said that, I got little butterflies. (laughs) They're just in there fluttering around. Um, Well, I'm so excited to have you on the Deeper Life podcast, Tia. You have been – you've been in my life, honestly, for, gosh, since I was like 15, 16 years old. I've known of you. We've like – 
you know, we're both from small town Illinois and our counties always played each other. Our schools always played each other in uh, uh, like high school basketball. You were a cheerleader. I remember. Funny how that works. Like, uh, just small town, like being within a 20 mile radius, you know, everyone <laughs> like literally that's, I mean, we did probably didn't really talk much until Molly and you formed a relationship, but I knew you for a long time. <laughs> yeah. We've always been in each other's circles. And I feel like over the last, gosh, I don't know, four years, maybe like we've become a lot closer and it's just been I feel like I have a kindred spirit with any creative woman who leaves small town Illinois and goes out and does something crazy and moves away or starts a business. And I have a lot of close friends that still live back at home. I just feel like I'm really attracted and like have this magnetic pull to people who are like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to leave and I'm going to start my own business or I'm going to move to a city where I don't really know anyone, which you did and have done. And so I'd love for you to like talk through how where you come from has impacted where you are right now. Cuz I I'm such a believer in like everything being connected. And I yeah, I'm just curious like how do you see how you were raised, where you came from, rural America, farming community? play into who you are now? Yes. I love that question because I think about it a lot. But also I will say I feel that soul connection too. Like being from small town USA, getting out, being a creative, it's not really the the um, norm. Yes. Like the typical path. So yeah, I feel that connection. I, I grew up in Louisville, Illinois, which is a small town of like a thousand people. And um I had an incredible childhood. My parents are super selfless. Like my dad worked all the time to give us everything that he could. And my mom was a counselor. She was a therapist. So she was really um, just, she's an angel. Like she is my whole world. I love her so much. And um, they just gave us an incredible childhood, me and my three sisters. And my mom would always tell me like, Tia, I just know you're going to grow up and do big things, which like now that I realize, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, okay, that's a lot of pressure now. <laughs> um, like what is, what does doing something big mean? Um, but she just always like kind of, I feel like she helped me become a dreamer. I was always like, mom, <laughs> you're going to get a kick out of this. I would always ask my mom, can we move to like Effingham? It's a bigger city. Like <laughs> Effingham is a town of 12,000 people. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I just, I was always dreaming about change and like something new, living in a city, being an actress. Like that's always kind of who I've been. Um, and then from that, like I went to school and I pursued a career in TV news at first. And I really thought that that was like my path. Um, but then I eventually realized like I was just chasing doing something big mm. as opposed to doing what my heart really wants and what is really aligned with my soul. And so that's kind of what led me to to Denver after graduating Southern Illinois University, moving out here and just really trying to pursue like a freelance um, career in 
something. I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought it might been might have been writing or videography, but I really went down that path. And of course, like when you start traveling, when you start like making a diverse group of people around you and you really start to um, learn more about the world. I think that a lot of us from small town USA realize we kind of lived in a bubble mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe for a little bit. I definitely definitely felt that I lived in a little bit of a bubble. Um mm-hmm. and so now that I think the biggest thing about growing up in a small town that I have really really seen the value in as an adult is connecting these two almost different worlds. Mm-hmm. And that helping me become more compassionate as a human being because yes. I can see who these people are in small town America and who, like, where their heart is, right? And feel more compassionate about some of the things that are not available in small town USA. You know, you you get in bigger cities, you can learn from traveling, and I also feel like on the opposite end, people in um, Denver who have always lived in a very like progressive world have not don't can't really find the compassion for for what life is like in rural rural America. So mm-hmm. it's like I felt I have felt that that is something huge that mm-hmm. uh, my upbringing has given me is becoming super compassionate for all types of beings literally on every spe- on every end of the spectrum, you know. Yeah. I that is so beautiful because I I don't think I've been able to actually put language to that, but that's also how I think I have been feeling, especially with everything that has been – I mean, I'm going to call it what it is – all of the racial injustice, police brutality, racism, blatant racism, systemic racism in, in America and in the world. And I think that it, over the past couple of months now, really un, unraveling those thought processes with family and friends that still live in rural America and and having those conversations is and, – and then being on the flip side, being in a progressive area, a metropolitan city like Houston, a lot of diversity, a lot of appreciation for culture, a lot of appreciation for diverse people groups, voices of all sociolog- like sociological backgrounds. And having the compassion for both sides of that. And I, I love that. It's like coming back to that empathy of um, – and, and I coming back to like what you said about not having access to things in rural America that metropolitan cities do and vice versa. Yes. Like the the – everyone wants to focus on – and this is like, you know, I'm – I'm in safe company with Tia because we're both from really small communities. And so I I do want to preface that some of my opinions are my own and they might be because of my own experiences. But I feel like with rural America, there's this like judgment on both sides. It's like there's judgment of cities and then cities judging, you know, quote unquote podunk uh, rural America where they don't understand anything. And I think like whenever you can figure out how to br- bridge that gap and that appreciation for both people groups while also recognizing that both have to progress and right. both have to learn and unlearn and treat each other with equality and kindness, like it goes both ways too. Right. And I think that that's why I struggled to put words to it because I would never – both offer such different, beautiful 
things, uh, beautiful mm-hmm. perspectives, and some, you know, some of their perspectives are severely lacking. And so I think that, like, not that I just, you know, I'm totally like this 100% compassionate person, but I do feel like it helps me be a little bit more, um, like, moderate when I'm talking about these issues of being, like, not so um, emotionally charged with extreme, like, left-wing ideals and extreme right-wing ideals and really understanding like, okay, see, we grew up the same way, talking to like someone from back home. We grew up the same way. And see, that's why I end up here and you end up here. Like we actually both start at the same place, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but we just end up a little different. And like, I think that that's the biggest thing when Speaking to anyone about important issues is really, really trying to uh, be compassionate towards them and more emotionally intelligent during those times because it is so important when trying to get someone to listen to you. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there's just so much, so much there because I really haven't, I mean, we just jumped right into that and I was like, wow, I haven't really thought about, (laughs) thought about all of that. There's just so many ways I could go with, with um, my upbringing and how it has impacted uh, my life. And so I think it's important as we navigate this conversation that we're having right now, rural America, cities, different perspectives, um, especially with the the human rights like movement that's happening right now it's not a m- moment in time it's definitely a movement one of the biggest i think that they calculated in the last couple of weeks that it's one of the biggest human rights movements in the world in the history of the world um and with of how many uh different countries are getting involved and it's becoming a huge movement it's also important to recognize that Tia and i are both white women and we carry white privilege with conversations that we have. And so being able to say, like, I'm going to try to have compassion and empathy when I'm listening to someone who has uh, really negative viewpoints or, you know, is is uh, practicing active racism, whether that be in a Facebook group or whether that be in a conversation with, you know, an old friend, we we try to come from that neutral ground of like, hey, I understand where you're coming from and let me also educate you on how this is wrong. Whereas someone in the black community or a person of color doesn't have to tone police. Like that's that's their whole lived experience. So I just wanted to like bring that into the conversation because I think it is different if it's you or I or someone else having a conversation. The The end result is hopefully the same, but how you get there is different. And I think that is a big piece of having important, deep conversations, whether it's about human rights, whether it's about racism or any important conversation, even if you're talking about, you know, something important with your with your spouse, your partner. Yeah. It's just we may be coming from different places and I hope that we can go, you know, in the same direction together. Um, and it's it's how you get there along the way that can be, you know, char- uncharted uh, rocky territory. Yeah. It's, it's still important. Exactly. And that's, I was totally going to say that this is my personal experience with like family members, um, mm-hmm. and how I have to, I have to approach it. And this is just something I've learned through communicating with them. And I think that it's a, it's probably something for, for people who are from small town America, who, um, are speaking with people from entirely white communities, like in 
no diversity whatsoever. And I think that like that has been what has helped me be able to see like a productive result with these conversations Mm -hmm. because when I am actually saying, hey, I actually see where you're coming from here, but actually I end up here. That's exactly Mm -hmm. why I end up here, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, but yes, like anger and complete rage is with inside me when I hear these, when I hear some of the things that come out of people's mouth. And that is a totally valid emotion during mm-hmm. something like that, uh, during any of these conversations and during any time you are, you are actually hearing blatant racism. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's totally a valid emotion. So um, I would never take that away from anyone and uh, yeah, yeah, never try to, absolutely. you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that comes along with having a deeper life is being an active participant in deep conversations, whether it be with yourself. Like I know that you are a practitioner of journaling and meditation or whether it be in deep conversation or connection with someone else. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that growing up in a small town for me, I felt like I was so hungry for something deeper and something more. And I I want to go back to the conversation that you had whenever you were in broadcast journalism and you said, I chased that because I was going after something big, um, like something bigger, but it wasn't something that really aligned with my heart and my soul. And it, it just was completely out of alignment with my value system. I want to talk more about that because I yeah. think there's like, we get in this this pattern of behavior, whether it is something that, you know, our parents are like cheering us on and wanting us to do great things and they're believing in us and there's very affirmation behavior. But then that can also turn into performance-based behavior where it's like, I'm going to go be the best and I'm going to go be famous and I'm going to, and some of that can turn into ego-driven performance. So I'm curious, like, how did you navigate that decision? When did you realize like, broadcast journalism is not my jam. Yeah. So I had actually, um, that's always been who I am very much like I am going, I, I believe that I can make whatever I want happen. So I, I'm just going to go for it. And I started out thinking that was TV news. So I, um, in college, I actually got this incredible internship in Washington, DC, where I was, not like working for a news station. I was actually a reporter at this newswire. Nobody picked up the newswire, but I was a I was a reporter at the newswire. So I got to go with my little DSLR and cover um, stories at the White House, the last State of the Union Obama gave. Um, wow. I was there. Like I got to see Michelle Obama. I covered three of her events. Like it was just. Oh my gosh. I was interviewing like people and sending stories back home um, to this station in Illinois that I wanted to work at when I got done because I was like, oh, I'm gonna be like I was just going really, really hard. This was mm-hmm. I was a junior in college at this time. Get back from that internship, um, and the local ABC affiliate. I go to like interview there, and I just want to be like an editor, you know. And they offer me a reporting position before I've even finished school. So I'm like doing on-air TV my whole last year of school and going to school full-time, working full-time, like 
I just was like, you know, this is my dream. Like I want it. I was going full speed ahead, like the absolute mm-hmm. de- definition of it. And then, um, and then I was, I had my first panic attack, um, like mm-hmm. in my senior year of school and I, or my senior year of college. And I realized, um, like I just couldn't go to work. I I couldn't go cover um, whatever I was covering that day. I just couldn't do it. So I called in sick. And that was the first time that I finally listened to my mother, who told me, who was a counselor, who said, you should go see a therapist. And I finally saw a therapist. And she actually introduced me to meditation. And she called it hypnosis, but it was really like, it was meditation. And I learned, I dove like headfirst into really learning more about meditation and reading about self-growth. And through my meditation journey, the beginning of it, I just suddenly realized, wow, I am only doing this because I want to, yes, exactly like you said, perform. it was performative. I wanted to do something quote unquote big. When in reality, when I actually checked in with myself, I hated being on TV. I hated that people would comment on my damn hair when I was busting my ass all day covering, you know, horrible stories. I was covering like the most tragic stuff um, day in and day out. I mean, one, I remember the week that I decided this wasn't for me was I, I had covered an old man witnessing a murder suicide on his front step. The next day covered a man drowning in the river and his family waiting by the river for like two weeks for him, for them to find the body. Then, oh my gosh. Then a teen mom and her infant dying in a car crash. And I had to go knock on doors asking in the community if anyone knew them and would want to talk to them. I mean, it's morbid. And that's what local news, I mean, local news has its great purposes for like, um, real like political news and like it's it's super important i just was like this is too heavy for me i don't feel right about some of this stuff and it was I like just, completely out of alignment with your value system yeah so it was um i just i told my um I realized I wanted to try and tell stories how I wanted to. And the whole foundation of me wanting to tell stories, even when I was in journalism, was that I just want, I feel that the more stories we hear, the more compassionate we become. Our minds open and we turn into more understanding human beings. And I think that that is like... (laughs) the key to world peace or something. No, it's not that simple, but um, <laughs> I think it could that, be. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, in a perfect world, but I do think that it makes quality of life better. And I just, I love sharing stories that help us, um, you know, understand others better. And so um, I just, I told my news director because I was, I told him, I said, I, my boyfriend, Jeremy, who is my husband is moving a to Denver. He's getting moved to Denver with work. Um, so I am going to go with him and I'm like, not going to do news. And (laughs) this guy in the office was like, that was a total lie. By the way, Jeremy was not moving for work. I just did not have the, I just didn't want people to tell me you're being stupid. Like you have a great Mm -hmm. job right out of school and you're going to move and just drop it and go try. So I didn't tell anyone and I lied. (laughs) And then this guy in the office goes, literally tells me, well, I just want you to know that you 
shouldn't drop your dreams for a boy. And I was like, thanks for your unsolicited advice. Okay, bye. And then, um, then I moved out here, had no, well, I had a, I didn't have a job when I quit my job. I found a job. It was a horrible, basically pyramid scheme marketing thing. And, um, I just worked there. Yeah. Yeah. I worked a bunch of odd jobs, um, until I finally had the support of Jeremy who was like, Tia, start your own business. And I was like, ever since then, everything, ever since I have been doing what is aligned with my heart, I swear to you, nothing has fallen in place more easily for me. And it's not like it's been easy, but it's things have happened so much more naturally than anything else ever has. Yeah. Wow. There's so much to unpack there. Like I have, <laughs> I am made of questions. I have so much to to ask. So I want to, first off, thank you so much for sharing that with me. So I want to pack, I want to unpack two things. I want to unpack the panic attack and deciding to go to therapy. And I want to unpack the lying about leaving. Oh yeah. Because I think, I think that, yeah. So let's talk this about. Is a um, session. I'm ready for it. Let's go. <laughs> so let's talk about the the panic attack and the traumatic week that led up to that. And the um, I had my first panic attack about a month ago, and I didn't even know that I didn't know it was happening. I mean, it was it was actually it lasted for multiple hours. Like it was about seven to eight hours long um, of just increased heart rate, not being able to breathe properly and focus. And, um, it, yeah. So so I I want, it it is, it is, um, it's your body's way of being like, listen to me, please. Right. Right? Like, so I want to talk, I want to talk through like what that was like for you and your decision to go to therapy. I'm such a big therapy advocate and and I want to talk through kind of what that process was like for you and what you learned from it. And and that's going to therapy is a humbling experience. Right, right. And it's um yeah, so this was about three, three and a half years ago. And um I think that I, yeah, I was very much I have never been crippled by anxiety the way that I was during that time. I mean, news is very, very high stress environment. Like you go in that morning and you don't know, you have to come in to the morning meeting and say, here are my story ideas. Which ones would you like me to pursue? And then I have to go out and get find interviews that day, write the story, shoot it, edit it, present it on air all in a day. I mean- you can imagine. It's slightly stressful. So I was never under that kind of pressure. Plus I was going to school (laughs) full time. Mm -hmm. So I was never really under that kind of pressure before in my life. But that is, I think that that was just, you know, that was the external situation telling me like that, that instigated the internal. I mean, these Mm -hmm. were things that I wasn't dealing with internally. And so I firmly believe that that panic attack I mean, I remember it so vividly. I was sitting on my couch downstairs in my college house and I couldn't move from the couch. I was just like, I can't move. And I called my mom and I was like, mom, I can't move. My chest is so heavy. Like, what do I do? I was like, I can't do news anymore. And she's like, at the very least, just call in sick. Like, what's it going to happen? Like, what's going to go wrong if you call in sick? And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I could. I could call in sick. So I called in sick. But I think that that all, I mean, that was the first time that I really understood 
um, after going to therapy. (laughs) Okay. I had this panic attack, decided to go to therapy for the first time because I remember just, I would, I was writing like, I am at war with my own mind. Like, I feel like my mind is battling constantly. Like, and I, I felt like I had no control over anything. I felt like I was just moving, like life was <laughs> moving me. I was not moving through life. And so I, I just wanted someone's help. I had no idea what therapy was going to be. I had absolutely no idea. And I probably cried the second session, like I, just from unpacking, like coming to this realization of, whoa, like we have things that are coming up like from such they're so deeply ingrained in our memories and in our brains and they sh- appear physically as like an anxiety attack a panic attack and um i i really understood i think this was kind of the realization the deep realization was that my desire to this anxiety was coming from this deep deep desire to work so hard because that is how my father was. I'm not in his mind, you know. I was just mm-hmm. that's how I interpreted it my whole life of like it needed to mean something like I cannot stop because otherwise I'm a failure. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not enough unless I am working hard. Unless I am doing all of these things to be successful in life, quote unquote, whatever that means. And um and making a name for myself, doing something big with my life, whatever. Um, so I, yeah, it was very much, that was the beginning of me understanding these, the pressure that I am feeling all the time mm-hmm. is only coming from within my own mind. It's not coming from anyone else. Yeah. I like, ah, uh, I feel like I've gotten emotional a couple of times during you talking because I I feel like our stories are so entwined with each other. I know that we have different life experiences, but I relate to this situation and, and this hard work, this performative, this, you know, wanting to do something big so much. And it's that internal battle of self. And I love what you said about like the external was like set off my internal. Mm-hmm. And I think that we underestimate how much our environment impacts the internal experience of how we feel about ourselves. And there's always alternate realities. You know, there's your reality and there's my reality and there was your dad's reality. Right. And then you're interpreting all these things and you're carrying them with you through life. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to add this. I'm going to add this. Now I've got to be this. I've got to be this. I've got to be this. And it's just exhausting. Yeah. Did you Did you feel a sense of freedom when you – went to therapy? 100%. I mean, that's maybe why for the I first was, time. That's why I was physically crying. I mean, I was literally letting all of this out. I remember her saying like, you know, Tia, it's really huge because a lot of people can't make these connections and feel and like, you know, really see it for what it is. See, mm-hmm. see, you know, your anxiety for what it is or whatever it may be. But yeah, it was a physical release of, I felt Finally, like I understood how my own emotions and mind and feelings and actions, like I got a zoomed out view of what they all meant. Mm -hmm. And it was the beginning of me 
my life completely transforming. I'm forever (laughs) indebted to that beautiful therapist that Michelle, I love her. Um, but she, she completely started this, um, lifelong work of Mm. going inward and always, always continuing to, uh, I guess, open my mind and align with my heart and mm-hmm. align with my soul. So I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that of how external circumstances or relationships or jobs um, or whatever is happening in their environment, deeply impacting them internally. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like some of the most powerful transformations in my life happened when I changed my environment or when I, you know, refocus my energy away from a friend group. Or I mean, like whenever I really looked at the external areas of my life and who had a microphone in my life and who was speaking into my life, I was like, ooh, I've really got to reevaluate that because that is deeply affecting my internal. So the second thing I wanted to unpack was the lying about leaving. So I love how honest you are about this because it's something that takes a lot of courage to just be honest of like, yeah, I was I was embarrassed to leave. I didn't want them to know that I didn't want anything to do with news anymore. And so I lied and I left and I moved to Denver. So I want to I want to unpack that because I think like part of that was self-protection, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So it's so funny because yeah, I I was young. I was the youngest person in the newsroom and Another huge reason why I decided to leave news on there were basically a million, but I also saw through my mindfulness journey, I really saw in myself that like what matters to me is family time, time to travel, time to explore, time with my loved ones in general, just time to live. (laughs) And um, when I was when I was in news, I saw that a lot of the time, many of the people who had been in news their whole life, they didn't get any of that. I mean, they were working insane hours still. I mean, you think about people who make it to the very top, okay? They're on the Today Show. They're still working holidays. They're still working weekends. They're still getting up at 1 a.m. to go cover the morning shift. Like, you know, they're just working insane hours and, um, they're always, you know, have to be on point for like breaking news. They have to be ready for whatever story. Like it's just, it's a very high stress environment. And so I think that like, I was afraid to tell every, like I was afraid of the older people in the newsroom being like, oh, you know, we hear that story, that narrative so much of people our age that they're entitled, they don't like to work hard, whatever it was. I didn't want them to think that it wasn't the hard work. It was just, it was just news itself, you know, it was news itself. And, and, um, I also didn't want, like, I care about being responsible. I cared about being, this is cared, you know, I still do, but, um, I cared a lot more about being responsible and having my shit together as a young adult and, Mm -hmm. you know, taking, being taken seriously as a professional. And so I just didn't want, 
I didn't want all the questions. And it's funny because I had my really good friend at the station at the time who was just a year older than me. She, or a couple of years older than me, she like left a few months after I did, did the same thing, did not have a job lined up and moved out to Oregon. And she told me that she told them all that that's what she was doing. And one of the oldest, like wisest guys in the newsroom told her, I wish I had the balls that you did. So see, lying is not cool. Like, I was like, damn it, that was me. <laughs> you know, like oh you gosh. just, you get in your head and that's when, like, that is a huge, just huge lesson of mm-hmm. like, you, you know yourself, you know who you are. You can't worry about anyone else's thoughts or opinions, their actions, because it is just not a reflection of you and has everything to do with them. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's totally irrelevant to you. And um, yeah, I was going to go off on a tangent, but I'll stop there. (laughs) I do love tangents, but I I love that you said that about the girl that left after you and the older gentleman being like, man, I wish that I would have done that because it was almost that affirmation of someone who had been in industry for decades looking back and being like, yeah, I feel like I made a mistake with the path I took. And I think like when our intuition is bubbling up and whether it's a physical, sorry, physical panic attack or, um, you know, something that comes out more from your physical body or your emotions, it's, it's building that confidence in yourself. Mm-hmm. of I believe in me. And I was just talking to um, my husband, Matthew, about this the other day is I think one of the reasons that I struggle with discipline and it's something I've always struggled with is it doesn't come from – it comes from like a source of not believing that I'm worth doing something consistently for. Yes. And, and that's like a hard, a really, really hard realization to have about myself mm-hmm. is um, I know that I could do it. I know that maybe I should do, I should do it, you know, whatever, whatever the, the thing is, but it comes down to this, like, do I believe in myself enough? Do I care and believe deeply enough about myself to want to do something consistently for myself? And that is where I really struggle. Yes, this this uh, brings up something that I've recently been, uh, yeah, unpacking. I guess uh, I I'm an Enneagram Seven. I know you're an Eight because you told me. Uh, <laughs> I remember, uh, but I'm working with in. She's both a mindfulness meditation and Enneagram coach, so she's basically my match made in heaven. And um, I've been working with her, and we were talking about how. Um, like something that is very common for me is I am constantly sitting down and reevaluating. Like, am I doing, see, I went the total opposite. Now I constantly sit down and I'm like, am I doing what I want with my life? Am I happy? Am I doing, what if I did this? I could be happier here or I could be happier here. You know, I have all these options and I'm overwhelmed by all the options and I just want to pursue everything. So I'm like crippled and I don't do anything. And, um, we kind of were unpacking this a little bit because it's a root of a lot of my anxiety. And she, she reflected this back to me that um, she was like, Tia, do you, do you trust yourself to make decisions in life? And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have to journal on that one. I'm not really, I don't trust my decision right now. 
I don't trust what I'm about to say, so let me think more. And then um, I really started to dive into that a little more, and I realized, yeah, um, that's that's something huge with me. I I have a hard time trusting that I am doing what actually is aligned with my heart now, and um, it's common with me to uh, <laughs> seek external validation because of that, mm-hmm. because I'm constantly like. And I think that maybe that's a route. It's circling back. It could be why I lied because I didn't want anyone to tell me. Like I, I was afraid of the ex- like not getting external validation for my mm-hmm. decisions. And so it all mm-hmm. comes back to like, I don't know. Maybe I didn't trust myself fully, but I did it. So I don't know. There had to have been something there. <laughs> there was. Yeah, absolutely. There's something there. I thank you for sharing that because – I think it's it's a part, honestly, of the human condition. Like, I don't think it's just us. Maybe it right. is. And maybe there's someone listening who has complete affirmation and trust in themselves all the time. And honestly, give me a call. Would love to have a conversation <laughs> with you and learn some of your techniques. Um, because I feel like that affirmation culture that we're a part of is – is because I feel like – and this is just a theory, but – if you look at our parents' generation, a lot of their life and their path was kind of laid out for them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the college, the marriage, the children, the buy a house, the job, the work from home, the stay stay at home mom, like that there are certain boxes that I think our parents' generation really kind of fell into more organically um, than maybe the millennial generation because we are self-starters and we're creative and we want to do things that are in align with our values and we want to be our own bosses and you know we care about work-life balance and there's like all these different um, value systems that might material maybe we have the same value system but they materialize in different ways right. is is now like a lot of millennials are like the going it on their own kind of thing like I like Whereas I feel like if you're working for a company for 20 years and your path feels more maybe set out for you, you aren't seeking that affirmation as much. I don't know. Random. Just a theory. But I'm like, why why do we need it so much? No, I totally totally think that that is a valid theory because that is something that I think – Millennials get labeled as entitled so much is because of that exact reason we were taking a note from our parents' book and those before the and our grandparents, whatever. We see their pain and we don't want to experience it. Like what has this cycle of like living, doing a job that they don't enjoy or, you know, working insane hours that do not fulfill them. Like we see that and we, we want different for ourselves and future generations Mm -hmm. like our kids. And yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, a correlation between, you know, going off and doing something on your own requiring more or less affirmation. Because I, I feel like I look at my dad, for example, very much a self-starter, um, you know, runs a company, and I never see him asking for affirmation. Oh, okay. Like, I just okay. – I'm That's like – he, he and, and that might just be his personality type. But um, when I look at the relationships I have with people that are, you know, 30, 40, 50 years older than me, 
they have this like sense of self-confidence. And, and I'm like, is is that just because of like age and wisdom and life experience? Or like, do y'all have something? Y'all know something that I don't know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder if it's just it comes with time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm ready for that time, girl. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I am very ready. <laughs> it is just it's, – it's so crippling um, when I get in my head and worried about others' actions and opinions and their thoughts and their feelings like way too much, way more than I, I consider my own. And I think that, yeah, I actually have been – that's a huge part of my meditation practice is um, – detaching from the self, which is essentially helping me not constantly feel the need to defend myself. And as a result of that, that means I'm not caring about what people think because I don't need to defend my beliefs, who I am. Um, Well, your beliefs sometimes, but (laughs) I don't need to believe this or defend this idea of self because I am just totally 100% enough and comfortable in who I am. And, you know, so I think that that is, um, at least a tool that I have used with dealing with that seeking external validation, because it really can be crippling, especially when, you know, I don't know, for my personal experience of going out on my own, I felt it's a lot, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot more with my decision-making of like, I'm, I'm making these decisions on my own. I need someone else to Mm-hmm. to validate that I'm doing. Can I, you know? It's like, can I defer? Can I defer this decision to someone else? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I get that. You're, you mentioned this like detachment from self and it's something I love talking about. Um, I think that whenever I was on your podcast, you have a great podcast called Creative Souls um, that you co-host with your friend Shelby. Um, and I was on their podcast and we were talking about this detachment from self and I brought up the book, The Untethered Soul. And it's kind of like, you you explained it like sitting in the background and like your your conscious self is sitting in the background and you're kind of watching things unfold you're kind of watching your emotions you're monitoring your circumstances your environment your feelings um something sometimes things are out of your control like c- certain things that come up in life are out of your control and you can kind of detach from that a little bit and watch it unfold and then you can decide how you want to engage with it Versus just being like in it all the time to where you can't even decide how you feel. And sometimes it's like we we own our emotions in an unhealthy way. And it's like, you know, I am I struggle with depression, but that doesn't mean that I have to own the emotion of depression and I'm just depressed. And that's that's just who I am now. No, yes. that's not my identity. It's just an emotion or something I consistently struggle with, but that's not who I am. Right, right. Yes, exactly. I think that it has been a game changer for me in seeing my anxiety that way. I mean, yes, I say, you know, I have anxiety, but it is not who I am because exactly like you said, when I'm really deep into my meditation practice, that's how I don't get really into my, I'll have anxious phases, maybe a month or two, like randomly, where I really am just like 
working on feeling my feelings. And I think that that's the biggest thing with meditation is it's not about being your feelings. It's feeling them. It's, it's not about fixing your feelings either or analyzing them. It's about actually feeling them. And when you're actually feeling in them and sitting in them, they do, they do allow, it allows them to move through you quick, more quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, that's kind of the biggest thing with, not becoming your emotions is just actually feeling them. I mean, for mm -hmm. the longest time, I really, really fought this idea of anxiety. I was like, uh, I don't know. It just, and when I'm in, when I'm in longer periods of anxiety, it's because I am not, I'm trying to push it away. I'm like, let me use all these techniques to get rid of it. When instead of just like actually feeling my anxiety and letting it be crying, whatever that looks like. Um, and giving myself grace. That has been the biggest game changer with my anxiety. Yeah. What's something right now that maybe triggers your anxiety or something that you're working through right now that that makes you anxious or maybe it's something consistently, like whether it be a pattern or whether it be something that's more situational. How do you identify it and work through it? Is it something that comes up in meditation, out of meditation? Yeah. Um, so there are, there are many things that I feel like I'm constantly working through. Um, but one of them is definitely with our world right now mm -hmm. and trying to be actively anti-racist and have these hard conversations with people I love, people that I just, I know and, and people that I think I don't know, online even. Um, mm -hmm. I have a lot of anxiety around saying the right things or, you know, just like I get very anxious thinking about being around certain people because I know that I don't, I'm going to be <laughs> getting angry and emotional and upset. And um, I think that it's a, it's something that come down when I break all of that down, I always come back to being compassionate for myself and then trying to be compassionate for others, even when like, that's the hardest part about compassion is like, it's so easy to be compassionate for people who rightfully deserve it. But when mm. you think someone does not deserve it, like deep in your core and having compassion for them, I mean, that's when it's like a real challenge. And so that's, what's been giving me a lot of um, anxiety lately is really like how to communicate effectively these important issues and how to say the right things so that in hopes of that they stick with people. And then, you know, uh, something else that just like, obviously saying that out loud, I'm thinking like, it's a lot to expect yourself to be able to change someone's mind. So you can never do that. Like you just can never expect you to change someone you and so like if you're speaking from the ego if you're speaking from this place of wanting to change someone it's likely not going to happen but mm -hmm. when you're speaking from like this place of pure love for the message and pure love for like the issue and pure love for change and desire for change then like that's when it's the most productive i think full yeah, circle yeah that's <laughs> That's really, really powerful. Thank you for sharing that because it's something that you're not alone in. I know many people are are feeling that as well and navigating it 
comes with a lot of nerves and anxiety. And and as you were talking, I was actually thinking through a similar conversation I had with a friend a few years ago about Christianity. And um, I'm a Christian, and um, regardless of anyone's beliefs, I feel like maybe you could relate to this, is whenever um, I'm talking to someone and I get nervous about talking about my faith because if someone is an atheist or agnostic or is asking questions I don't know the answer to, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know everything about Christianity. Like I didn't study theology. I'm a practicing Christian. I go to church. I mean, there are practices and prayer and reading the Bible and reading books about Christianity and, and having a relationship with Jesus. And I still will never know everything about being a Christian. And my friend encouraged me. She's like, even though you don't know everything doesn't mean that your experience could not be helpful or enlightening to someone else, whether, you know, regardless of their beliefs. And so if you are being challenged um, about your faith or about your beliefs or about racism or insert anything right there, I think she said, it's okay to say, I don't know. Will you let me research that and get back to you? Because we are not machines. We are not computers and we don't know everything. Like, right. And so I, I, I guess it's like not letting the fear of not knowing everything get in the way of not using your voice at all. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I totally – that is exactly how I feel about speaking about these important topics, any human rights issue as well, any human rights crisis, really just when you – know your heart and know why you believe something so strongly, like know where Mm -hmm. it's coming from in your soul, like knowing it's aligned with your soul, then it makes it so much easier to just communicate your soul rather than this ego of trying to list out all the facts. (laughs) Let me quote this, uh, let me, you know, quote this peer reviewed article or whatever it Mm -hmm. is, like just really, really speaking from your heart and your soul. And yeah. Yeah. It's so much more effective than we give credit for. Right. I think it seems so much, it's like so, so much easier said than done, you know? No, for sure. And I, I like fully acknowledge that as well. I just think like in general, I think one of the things that keeps us from being honest about our values, about our beliefs, speaking up, um, being an advocate for others, being an advocate for ourselves is because there's this fear of like, well, what if someone challenges me, you know, or what if someone doesn't think the same way as I do or asks a question I don't know the answer to. And it's really this practice of like intuition and having your intuition aligned with that compassion and that that inner passion inside mm-hmm. yourself and knowing like you don't have to know everything, but it also doesn't mean that you're just like just because you don't know everything doesn't mean that your voice isn't still important and couldn't maybe be a, a seed. You could plant a seed or right. you could water a seed someone else planted. And sometimes um, I was just going, sorry to cut you off. I was just no. going to say sometimes like less is more I'm finding. Less is more with these conversations. Like So just mm-hmm. saying like, hey, I'm not comfortable with you saying that around me mm-hmm. and that being that. And then they're like, wow okay, now I, mm-hmm. why would she be like that? And, you know, really like exactly planting a seed. But and even seed. and even with um, like something that I've been trying to do more is speak out more on 
some of the stuff that I'm seeing on Facebook, which sometimes sounds a little childish, but um, when it's someone that I know, really just like keeping it very simple, but but saying like really just providing information, keeping it super neutral, not emotionally charged, but providing information. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's another example of like where less is more. Like if someone is, you know, challenging you in a way on um, something that that you say like really just keeping it simple for people, like then mm-hmm. that gives them something to go digest, yeah. like one thing to go digest, you know? Yeah. And on the flip side, being willing to be wrong and being willing to apologize and being willing to say, you know what? You're right. I need to learn more. Or you're right. I shouldn't have said that. Or th- there's a flip side of a lot of these hard conversations as well is like oh, I'm so the, the realizing whenever we are wrong and when we need to take ownership and responsibility for our thoughts and yes. for our biases and for uh, where we came from. You know, yeah. I can't use growing up in a town of 500 people where there's no diversity as an excuse to be racist. Of course. Of I course. can't use it. Like it is my responsibility to educate myself, to unlearn and to be an advocate and to be an anti-racist because that's, that's like my responsibility. And yeah, I think, I think there's like those two sides of it that, that weave in and out of each other. You said something, um, about like, Hey, um, I don't want you to say that around me or, or don't speak like that around me. That's also you setting a boundary. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about boundaries. Boundaries. We love boundaries. Because I yes. love boundaries so much. <laughs> I got something good about boundaries that I've been Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. Okay. <laughs> I'll just go. Um, yeah. But yeah, I actually recently, um, again, with, with my coach, was dive, I was diving into boundaries because it's really, really hard for me to uh, not – cram every social event and work opportunity into my calendar because I hate saying no. I hate <laughs> it. I can't even say it like aggressively. And <laughs> so I don't like to do that. So I um, was working with this uh, through this with her and she was like, you know what I've done? She's like, I have come up with a different word for it. And I was like, oh, like I'll have to think on like what word I want to call it. And I started calling it promises to myself. And it's like a little bit more, it's just a little play on there, but it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I promise myself that I will not do, I will only fill up three out of the seven nights of my entire week because I really like nights at home, like, you know, with work or social obligations. Or I promise myself that I am going to move my body because it is mental health time, like, you know, whatever it is, like, um, but really promising myself, uh, making promises to myself because it seems a little bit, a little bit more manageable than being Mm -hmm. like, no, there's a wall. Like this boundary is like my, Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't cross it or something. I don't know. But, um, but boundaries I feel like are, there's so much to them. Um, there's like personal boundaries, the way someone speaks to you, the people you have in your life, the way you fill your calendar, the your relationship with work, your relationship with your partner. Like it can be going to so many different ways. So, yeah, I think um, t- too. I love that you found language that worked for you, 
And I think like sometimes we reject practicing something because it doesn't the the word itself doesn't align. Like for me, the word balance doesn't align. I like to use integration. Yeah. I don't like the word workout or like I don't like I exercise, right? So I said movement. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So like I definitely understand that. And I think like give yourself permission to use language or find a synonym or a word that does you know, activate you or motivate you or inspire you to want to make that change or set that promise. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like I promise myself to not put myself in situations or environments where there are people who are being actively racist or saying microaggressive racist comments. And so I make a promise to myself that when I see it or I'm around it, I will say something. And that's my promise. I love that. That's, that's really good. Yeah. So that's, that is another promise that I've been working through is I, mm-hmm. I promise myself that I will not let myself be around those situations. So I will speak up. If it continues, then I will leave the room. Like, right. That's my mm-hmm. promise. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there are also promises within myself about how people speak to me in general of, you know, if someone is, uh, projecting something onto me that is like them or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, I try to, yeah, I'm going to promise myself not to absorb their energy, their opinions, because they don't always reflect me. Like, of course Mm -hmm. that one is incredibly hard to do, but it's, it's something that, um, again, it's just a deeper like life's work promise Mm -hmm. to always try to get better. It's also something like whether it be vulnerability, meditation, boundaries, promises, movement, they're all practices. And I think that like it kind of comes back to habits. Also don't love the word habit, but like it's a habit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of habits, great book is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Just like random, random book, random book recommendation, Atomic Habits. But um I think in a world where we're like obsessed with to-do lists and being productive, we also miss out on the realization that a lot of what leads to what I think is a deeper, more connected life are all practices. They are not this one and done kind of thing. I did the thing. It's like, no, therapy, like all these things are ongoing practices that we invest our energy and our time in. And, and that's what leads to this like enriched life. It's that, not like, oh, I, I, you know, I got my 15 things done today and I got the, I got my to-do list done. It's like, great. But are you tapping into the, to the daily practice of being present, meditation, journaling? Did you practice vulnerability today? And it's something that like is an ongoing in every social interaction kind of thing. And I think like once you can kind of change your mindset, where it's not this like fixed thing that you're always doing or this, you know, you check it and you do it weekly. Um, it's something that you're always doing. It kind of like gives you that freedom where you're like, oh, I can do this at any time. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's it. That's the difference between getting short-term benefits from something and getting long-term benefits from something and making mm. something a lifelong practice, lifelong work and more of like, a part of you than just like doing it. I mean, what comes to mind is my 
my movement journey. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, I started out like I was a group. It, it has fitness for me has been a complete journey in and of itself, a complete, like just part of my life, like totally separate. I don't know. It's just, it has evolved so much over the course of the years because I started out actually in college, my college job for the five years, I was a certified group fitness instructor. And so I was working out so much, (laughs) like an incredible amount. And I just, I have come to peace with, like when you go from that, like that's your start of like your introduction to fitness and movement and exercise. And then you come into adulthood, entrepreneurship, pursuing a career that is not fitness. Like that's not my career anymore. Having to come to peace with like, that is, that is not ever going to be what fitness and exercise and movement look like for me likely ever again, unless Mm -hmm. it becomes my job again. So it's all about like, really, I had to shift my mindset of like, how do I make this a long-term part of my life without constantly trying to get to where I used to be? Mm. And I think that that's huge with any kind of practice to make Mm. it a part of your life long-term is to see how it fits in long-term and Mm. not judging how many times you did it in a week, but just how do you feel in the moment when you're doing it and really doing it for the moment. And oddly enough, it's a weird paradox. Doing something for the present moment is how it becomes almost long-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I something that, that reminded me of is doing it for the moment, doing it for the feeling of how you feel when you're doing it. It's like that ultimate connectedness. And that's how I view vulnerability mm. is vulnerability as much as it is an incredible um, tool and relationship builder and, you know, to deepen friendships, relationships and things like that. Um, and to be honest, I actually am vulnerable for me. My vulnerability has everything to do with who Alexis is and how I want to feel about her. Yes. And it has everything to do with how I show up and how I give myself permission to take up space and to have feelings and to disagree and to get my feelings hurt and to be happy and to be sad and to be everything in between is vulnerability is mine. Yeah. And it's like the same thing with your body. Like movement is mine. It is for me. It is not for society. It is not for the patriarchy. You know, like it is, it is for me. And I think like we do so much of these practices because we think it's going to benefit everyone around us. I do it for this. I do it for this relationship. I do it so that I can look good for X when really like I am chasing this practice, this deeper life for myself and that not in a selfish way, but in like this self-actualization way when it's like you you like get to this place where you're like, I am fully me. Therefore, I am going to better connect with you and we are going to connect on a deeper level because I am showing you 100% Alexis right now. Yeah. And I don't have to hide behind anything. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think the word that you said that I really, really have understood as being my definition of success is freedom. Mm 
And mm-hmm. that's why I implement some of these practices. But when you're actually, when you give yourself permission to not check every single little thing off your to-do list, to to not like, you know, really like have expectations for these practices and, mm-hmm. pra- you know, practicing vulner- vulnerability. It has to look like this or I didn't do it. You know, it's like, right. that's freedom when you, when you mm-hmm. give yourself grace Mm-hmm. in every single part of your life, in every single thing that you do day in, day out, and what you don't do. Mm-hmm. And it just allows you to kind of be. Yeah. Like I am just being right now, I'm not performing. I'm not like trying to, you know, make you like me or impress you. I am just being. I'm like 100% showing up as present self. And I think, and I'm not always like this, okay? <laughs> it's like, it's a practice, but I find when I am around people where my being comes naturally, I am attracted to that. It's like a magnetic pull where I'm like, you. I'm like, you. You and me. Yes. <laughs> oh, I feel that so strongly, dude. I yeah. do. I do. I feel it so much. I mean, you. it's that feeling of just like knowing know it you your gut like it sounds Mm -hmm. corny but just like trusting your gut almost your heart your Mm -hmm. soul like you're aligned with your soul with certain people you know yeah yeah oh girl I love you I love (laughs) you oh this has been incredible and now I just honestly just want to see your face like in real life so in real life one day (laughs) one day and and you know, post Corona world, right? I want to, I want to get to Colorado again and and see you and see Jeremy and maybe like do a little girls trip with you and Shelby up in a mountain mm. or something. I yeah, don't know, uh, you know that we're just waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> so just come on over, patiently awaiting. <laughs> um, well, I just want to say thank you for your heart and your light and just the raw energy that you brought to this conversation today. I know it's going to benefit so many people and I would love for you to share where people can connect with you. You are an incredible storyteller. Like y'all need to 100% get plugged into Tia and anything that she puts out. You're a great photographer, wedding photographer, videographer, like you're amazing. So tell people where they can connect with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Website is under construction, so definitely Instagram is probably the best place right now, at Tia LaRae Storytelling. So that is me. Uh, DM me. Hit me up. I don't know. Like, let's be friends. But um, Alexis, (laughs) thank you so much because this has – I mean, this is what I really care about, like just vulnerability and being like, I'm just – I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm trying to – really embrace that as much as I possibly can. And I love the conversations you're having and that you're facilitating because they are really, really important. Thanks friend. I appreciate you. I will link up where you can connect with Tia um, on her Instagram, as well as her and um, her co-founder of Creative Souls, your podcast too, because that's a really good resource for, for creatives who might be listening to the show as well. Oops, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's okay. a little new. <laughs> uh, Creative Souls Podcast at creativesouls.podcast. Alexis, you're such a light. I love you so much. Love you. 